Good morning. The scripture this morning will be from John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they are gathered them and they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And then down in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope we can be an encouragement to you. You know, this, this sound system is uh, it, it's really interesting. Uh, first service, pulpit mic didn't work for the, just for the scripture reading. It's the only part that didn't work. Came up between, couldn't figure out why. It worked between services. Now we get up again just for the scripture reading. It doesn't work. Sounds like a lot of people I know. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll try to get it to liking scripture reading uh, by, before next Sunday. Uh, but it, it is... Uh, it's an interesting battle trying to, to get it to cooperate. We appreciate, we have a lot of guys that work a lot of time trying to get all of this correct, and we appreciate all that they do. We're excited about this month. We've got a lot of good things coming up, but one thing in particular we want to mention to you is the last Sunday of this month is Family Day, and uh, we look forward to that time together. Our schedule will be as normal in the mornings. Classes will meet as usual, uh, same times, but after uh, the morning services, we'll enjoy a catered meal together underneath a tent that will be here to the creek side of the building. And uh, so be sure and, and be available for that, but also be inviting. And then the tent, uh, will the tables and all will be cleared out in the afternoon and the evening we'll come back under the tent and we'll worship together. And if you've been here for a while, you know that that's one of the great Sunday evening worship services of the year to be able to worship under the tent and sing under the tent. And, and it's just really a great time. So we want to encourage you now, though, to be thinking about who you could invite, who in your family you want to invite to come up two weeks from now, uh, who of your friends and neighbors and co-workers that you want to invite, and whether it's coming in the morning and eating a meal together or coming in the evening, worshiping in the tent or both, be sure to uh, think of those opportunities. And let's always have souls on our mind. Who is it that's in your prayers? Who is it that you're seeking to reach out to? And this would just be another great opportunity to give an invitation let somebody know that you care about them. And so I encourage you to be doing that. Also, just a couple of weeks after that, 
will be our single mom's car care clinic. There's an invitation the size of a business card that's out at the information center if you'd like to stop and pick some of those up. We would encourage you, if you're a single mom, to come and be a part of that day. Uh, and we simply want to help. That's all we're wanting to do. And if you know the other single mothers in the area, if anybody does, we want to encourage you to give them an invitation. It's a day where we seek to try to help them with a car. That's one of the things that uh, we've found through the years that means a lot. If we can help with an oil change and just look over things and see maybe what might be needed. Of course, this is all free of charge. And then also the washing and cleaning of the car. And while that's being done, the, the uh, mother is on the inside of the building here getting her nails manicured and her children are being taken care of and games being played. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful time. I mean, I could stand here for 30 minutes and tell you just the neatest stories. But uh, if, if uh, you want to invite someone or you want to be a part of that, we want you to do that. So know that those invitations are there. Uh, because all changes are involved, it needs to be scheduled. And so that's why it's so important to take these with you and have them to call and make an appointment so that we can be ready with, with uh, the oil filters and all that that will be needed for her particular car. And so uh, well, this has always been a great success in years past, and we want to simply do it that way again and give the glory to God. Also, what a blessing it is to have alarms. You know, I love the fact of having an alarm, be able to get up first thing in the morning and get things done. I'm just kind of wired that way. I like having alarms for that, but I've been reminded this week of how awesome it is to have an alarm to remind you to pray. Uh, you know, many of us have set our alarms for 429 in the afternoon, and I have to confess to you, not once have I stopped at 428 and said, it's almost 429. I better get ready to pray. But what a blessing it's been when my alarm's gone off and I say, oh, I need to stop and pray right now. And what a blessing that's been. I know hundreds of you have been doing it. I want to encourage you to do it again this week and for an additional reason. You know, three of the countries especially, we've been wanting to pray for Christians all around the world that are being persecuted. Three of the countries that we mentioned were Ukraine, and Kenya and Nigeria, where we know that there's ongoing persecution of Christians right now today. We know people are, are being injured and, and property being taken and even lives being taken sometimes. Uh, but also, uh, we, we found during the evening service last week that Santino Har had filled out a specific prayer request asking us to remember that his wife and children are in Kenya, uh, where we mentioned some of the uh, persecution that's taking place there. And he asked us to be sure and be mindful to uh, include his family in our prayers. And so as your alarm goes off at 429 this week, we want you to encourage you. We want to encourage you to do that. Of course, the idea of 429 is Acts 4 and 29, where those that were being persecuted, they didn't pray for the persecution to stop. And Acts 4, what they prayed was to have boldness to stand up for the Lord and speak His Word in spite of the persecution. And so that's our greatest prayer. Uh, we want the kingdom to explode and just to grow tremendously during all of this, uh, but we do want the individuals to know uh, that they're being prayed for and that we hope that their faith as well. And let's pause at this time. Let's pray together. Our most gracious God, we're so thankful that you hear our prayers and that you give us time like this to come together as your family and worship you. And God, our prayer is... Uh, that you are our focus. Uh, we love you. We adore you. Uh, we want to study from your word. We truly want to hear what your will is for us, and we want to submit to it. And God, we ask you to give us an open mind that uh, we could accomplish that over the next few minutes, and we ask that you bless the study. God, we do pray for those that are hurting around the world, and especially because of persecution. Our prayer is that they'll be bold. 
and that they will stand with you and that they'll speak your word no matter what the cost. God, our prayer is for ourselves, even as we think about who we would invite to family day or who we would invite uh, to, to sit down and study scripture with you. Uh, God, help us to not be cowards. Uh, help us to be bold. Uh, help us to speak where you would want us to speak. Help us to always speak in love and help us to be effective so that we could be successful for your glory. God, we're ever so mindful in our hearts and uh, in our lives of our brother Santino Har and of his family who is in Kenya. And God, we pray that they are well today. And we pray that your loving arms of protection would be around them. We pray for his wife and for his lovely children. And we pray your blessings in their life. And God, we pray for the process that they could quickly uh, move forward in that process of coming and uh, being with Santino here in America. And God, we thank you for him and for the great example that he is uh, to us in his faith and in his love for you. And we pray that we can always be an encouragement to him. God, we're mindful that here this morning are guests. Uh, others are here that, that are relatively new members. Uh, others are here have, have great hurt and pain in their life because of losses, uh, because of challenges and, and struggles. God, no matter uh, what brings us here today, our prayer is uh, that we'll focus on you and that we'll be an encouragement to each other and that will have truly been good for us to be here. And it's through your son's name we pray. Amen. If you walked in here in January and you said, I really don't know much about God, but I'd like to learn more about God, what is God's great expectation for me? The first place we would have started is saying, God expects you to choose Him. Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. And so we hope that everyone here this morning has made the choice, I want to serve God. And if so, that would lead us to the second part of our study this year. And what is it that God expects? If we have chosen Him, the first greatest commandment the Lord would say would be love me with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second commandment's likened to it. Second greatest is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so we would hope that we would say, Lord, I choose you. That means I make you number one in my life, and in every aspect of my life, I give you all of my being. And then third, we would learn that if we do that, there is an inseparable expression of God's love of which we offer. And that inseparable expression is said by Jesus in John 14 and verse 15. If you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. And for the next five or six verses, three times after that, he would continue to say about if you love me, obey my word. If you love me, keep my word. In other words, if we've chosen God and we love Him with all of our heart, the result is going to be that we're going to say, Lord, I want to learn Your truths. What is it that You want me to do so that I can abide in Your will, so that I can walk step in step with You? Well, one of the things that we would learn that we want to begin this morning and we'll look at for a few weeks is the idea that if we do that, we're going to produce fruit in our life that is the fruit of righteousness. In other words, we want to bear fruit. What is God's great expectation for us? Bear fruit. You know, if we stop and consider some of the greatest intellectual minds, some of uh, the most powerful men and women, if we consider some of the great philosophers and what they have debated, what's interesting is that it has always been the discussion of what is my purpose in life. 
We truly want to make sure that our life counts, that it matters. Now, we usually don't say that exactly in the sense of the biblical term, bear fruit. But that's very closely connected to it. In other words, we want purpose in our life. We want our life to bear fruit. We want our life to count for something greater than ourselves, and even beyond ourselves, even to future generations. Not that I agree with all of these, but just to show you how you can take almost any famous individual, and they've spoken about this. Let me give you a few examples. Robert Kennedy said, the purpose of life is to contribute in some way to making things better. Eleanor Roosevelt said, the purpose of life is to live it, to taste experience to the utmost, to reach out eagerly and without fear for newer and richer experiences. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, the purpose of life is not to be happy, it's not to be useful, but to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it, to make some difference that you you have lived and lived well. Albert Einstein, although he's brilliant in many ways, I don't agree with him here, but he says, all religions, arts, and sciences are branches of the same tree. All these aspirations are directed toward ennobling man's life, lifting it up from the sphere of mere physical existence and leading the individual toward freedom. Robert Bryan sounds like a dog chasing its tail, and he says it this way, the purpose of life is a life of purpose. Seneca said, it's not that we have so little time, but that we lose so much. The life we receive is not short, but we make it so. We are not ill-provided, but use what we have wastefully. Again, I don't agree with everything we've just read. I just want to remind you this morning that you and I wanting to have purpose in our life is literally a part of the way that God has designed us. In the creating of the human race, God made us after His image. And a part of that is for our life to be productive, for our life to matter, for our life to be involved in good things. And so I hope this morning you're saying, sure, I have chosen God and I love Him with all my being and I want to hear His truth. What is it that He would want me to do with my life? Now, get ready. The lesson this morning, and we'll finish it up tonight, but the lesson this morning is very simple. And it might be that if you don't appreciate the simplicity of this particular passage of Jesus' teaching, you might actually leave disappointed. But I want to invite you in to see the beauty of the simplicity of Jesus' teaching today. As a matter of fact, he's going to give a metaphor. And, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. And on this next picture, we have a metaphor of what Jesus is going to use to teach what our purpose is in life, at least to some degree what it is. And what he's going to do is he's going to talk about a vine. And there in that picture, we see coming out of the ground a vine, a grape vine. And then, because there's so many leaves, it's not as easy to see, but you know, and you can imagine in that picture, behind those leaves, there are many branches coming off of the main vine. There's the one main vine, and there are many branches. And then you can see, hanging on those branches are clusters of fruit. Now, Jesus is going to begin this teaching by simply defining what this metaphor means. Let's read together. We're in John the 15th chapter, and we're going to read verse 1 and 2. John 15, 1 and 2. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
So on this next slide, we can simply say it like this. This is how the metaphor goes. The Lord says, I want you to understand, I'm the vine. Now, nobody here squirmed. I watched. Nobody did. Nobody said, what? But if we would have been Israel hearing this for the first time, I guarantee you someone would have said, that's not right. I've been reading in Jeremiah. I've been reading Isaiah. I've heard this all my life. I've heard the prophets talk about it. Israel is a true vine. He's saying he's the vine. Well, it's interesting how coming out of the old covenant and into the new, Jesus claims to be that vine. That would have gotten their attention. But now notice the second identification there. The second mark of identification would be the very fact of who's going to take care of this vineyard. Somebody's got to take care of the vineyard. The heavenly Father is the one who prunes it and takes care of it. Third, he's going to point out what grows off of the vine, and that would be the branches. Only the branches that are connected to the vine. The branches that are connected to the vine, he says, those are the ones in me. Now, notice if we were to also read verse 5, he makes it very clear, we are the branches, talking to his disciples. But what I'd like for you to do is, I'd like for you to notice, we're going to go back to this very same passage here in John 15, 1 and 2, and I want you to think how simple that metaphor was. He's saying, I want you to know I'm the vine, you're the branches. The Father is the, the vine dresser. He's the one that takes care of the vineyard. And then there are many things over the next 15, 16 verses that are beautiful. But what I want you to notice is he immediately, right out of the gate in verse 2 says, now we're going to talk about a lot of other things, but it's all going to be in the context of this one thing. What is the one thing? And he says, be fruitful. Look at it. Three times he says in verse 2. He's identified in verse 1 himself as the vine, the Father's vine dresser, us as, as disciples of the Lord as the branch. And notice, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. What do you think these next these 16 verses are going to be about? It's going to be about our fruitfulness, and that fruitfulness can only be found if we remain as a branch connected to Jesus Christ, pruned and cared for by the Heavenly Father. What a beautiful concept. You want to find your purpose in life? Stay connected to the Father and stay connected to Christ and allow the Father to prune you. We're going to talk about that all day today. And what a beautiful study it is out of John the 15th chapter to see what does that really look like. When I study this in, in small groups or even when I study on my own, or uh, in a Bible class, I ask this question, and I'm almost always asked this question, and usually there's a couple of questions. One is, I understand what it is to prune a grapevine, but what in the world does it mean for us spiritually to be pruned? We'll look at that a little bit this morning, finish up tonight. But then a second thing that's always asked is, but what is the fruit? I want to be fruitful, but what is the fruit that the Lord would want us to produce? Is it only conversions? In other words, if I haven't baptized anybody into Christ lately, am I not fruitful? Oh, no, no. And so it's, it would be good for us to spend some time, even this evening, thinking about what would the fruit look like that God wants to produce in our life. And so let's go back to, uh, to, to this. And, and by the way, I, I think this is real clear, but let me just say this to make sure we're on the same page. You know, when we're talking about the fruit, the fruit is different than the branch and the vine. In other words, you could, you could hold up some grapes right here and you could say, where, where did those grapes come from? Well, they came from this vine right here. 
Where, where did this orange come from? Oh, it, it came from this orange tree. Where did this acorn come from? Oh, it came from this mighty oak tree. Listen, you and I, we're not the fruit, but we are to bear fruit. So what is this fruit that we're supposed to bear? Come back tonight, and, and hopefully we'll have time to get to that. We have some other things to cover tonight, too. We're going to try our best to get to that tonight. But, but let's go back now, and let's ask this question. That's always such a good question, and that is, what is the pruning? Well, just to make sure that we all are on the same page of this, this analogy that Jesus gave, let's think about it briefly from the aspect of the agriculture aspect because that's the way he used it, and then that would help us make application to our lives spiritually also. Uh, again, a picture's worth a thousand words. If you look at this, immediately you know what is not pruned. Right? You see, like a lot of us that, and maybe all of us, I don't know if you have to have an agricultural background to think this way or not. When I see that picture, the first thing on my mind is, that's overgrown. Think about that phrase for just a minute. That's overgrown. What does that mean? That means that has not been pruned. If something has been pruned, the very definition of pruned is cleaned up, purged, or cut away. All right, so we look at this next picture, and it's kind of the same idea of a vine. Now it has leaves, and you say, oh, it's overgrown, but it's not dead. You're right. It is overgrown. It's not dead, but you know what? That vine right there will produce either no fruit or the grapes that it would produce would be tiny. That's why if you've ever found grapevines out in the wild, they are tiny, the grapes are. They don't look anything like you see in the grocery store. And the reason is... They haven't been pruned. Grapevines cannot produce large, beautiful, healthy fruit unless they have been pruned. So in this next picture, we see a picture of, of, of literally a vine dresser. And you notice the vine, how it looks very different, doesn't it? You know, just at a glance, you see him literally reaching in and cutting away some of the, the portion of the branch. And, and maybe, you know, if you didn't know anything about it, you'd say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't, do, doesn't he want to produce more grapes? Why would you cut part of it away if you want to produce more? That literally, that cleaning out, that purging is what creates more. Now, are you starting to think about this spiritually? Isn't it interesting that the Lord is saying, listen, if you will allow my heavenly Father to prune regularly in your life, your life can be so much more fruitful if you step back and say, God, don't touch me. I like to do things my way. I don't like it when you cut away things. I don't like it when you tell me how to live. God, let me do it my way. And then finally we see this picture, and, and this is a picture of a vineyard that has been pruned recently. And, and at a glance we know it, don't we? And if we saw that at harvest time, it would look nothing like the wild grapevines at harvest time. There'd be no comparison because this one would be so much more fruitful. All right, you probably have it, but let's, let's take a quote from an expert and that'll wrap up our agriculture lesson and then let's apply it spiritually this morning. Here's what an expert says. Uh, Demetrius Dumb says, anyone who is acquainted with viniculture will recognize immediately that vines allowed to grow unchecked will produce smaller and smaller grapes as the vines gradually return to their wild state. Without pruning, the branches will become straggly 
and tangled and grow in and on themselves rather than growing outwards toward the light. That's a beautiful spiritual uh, lesson right there, isn't it? A vine needs help in order to be the most productive in order that its energy may be focused on producing good quality grapes rather than lots of second-rate ones. Potential buds and new shoots must be regularly sacrificed in order that the few remaining may grow strong and produce better fruit than would otherwise have happened. You still have your Bible open? What I'd like to do, we'll look at two this morning, and then we'll begin the lesson tonight by looking at two more and then look at some of the fruit. What is it that God does when the Heavenly Father prunes us? I don't want to get your hopes up and you think, I tell you, David's going to give us a comprehensive lesson on that. Listen, I don't claim to know all the ways that God works to mold us and to create us. You know, little children, we sometimes sing the song, God's still working on me. That's what we're studying about this morning. God regularly prunes on us and He regularly cares for us if we let Him. If we say, Lord, I want to be that branch that you are constantly working on. But I've picked out four scriptures that I think it might be more like just, just kind of tiptoeing, just putting the tip of your toe in the pool. That may be all we get to in this topic today, but I just want you, even more than the details, I want you to know the principle. To say, I want to live a life that's open to the vine dresser constantly pruning me. And the only way that that'll work also is if we say, I want to stay connected to the vine. And we'll study more of that also tonight. All right, I meant to put this slide in and honestly just failed to. We're about to look at four, but the first one we're about to look to ties so closely here to where you're studying in John 15. Before we leave it, look at verse 3. If you have your Bible open, look at verse 3. And I want you to notice, we just read in verse 2 the word prunes, that he prunes that... Uh, that it may be, bear more fruit. Now I want you to notice in verse 3, he says, you are already clean. Notice that word clean. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now I know in English, we don't immediately, it just doesn't leap off the page. But in Greek, that is the same word in just two different forms. It, it, and, and the word prune and the word clean. And so literally, he's come out of verse 2 saying, hey, in the kingdom, we got the vine, Jesus, we got the branch, us, and we got the vine dresser, the Father, and he constantly is, verse 2, pruning. He's constantly cutting away. Why? He says, so you can bear more fruit. And then we come into verse 3, and he says, oh, by the way, he's already started. Like if you're sitting there saying, oh, really? He, he's going to prune? When, when is he going to prune me? And Jesus says, oh, he's already started. He's already started pruning. He's already cleaned you. Jesus would say, I'm doing that as I give you my word. In other words, as you obey my word, the cutting away process is already beginning. Turn with me, if we will, to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. The word of God is also taught to us using many metaphors. 
And obviously, each time one is used, it's because it's a fit to help us understand something that the Word of God is capable of doing. So we read in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, why did God choose to use a sharp, cutting instrument to describe the Word of God? Let's read it. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. Hebrew writer, help us understand what can the Word of God do? Oh, the Word of God can just slice away at your heart so that you can discern things better. In other words, it'll penetrate so deep, it doesn't just go to the bone. Look, it'll pierce all the way to the marrow. In other words, it will go to the very core of our spiritual being. What is God saying there? Whether it's John 15 and verse 3, or it's Hebrews 4 and 12. God is saying, I've given you my word because I want it to start cutting out the things in your life that you learn my will and you say, you know what? That's against God's will. I don't need to do that anymore. But also a part of pruning is cleaning. You know those lower branches? Sometimes they're clipped back and then they have mud on them. And the vine dresser will actually clean the mud off the lower limbs so that they don't mildew or mold and so that they don't rot. You imagine Jesus coming in with His holy word and saying, I want you to cut some things out, but I also just want to clean some things up. Let's, let's take a knife out, a spiritual knife, and let's prune away at these things. You know, we could illustrate this with every teaching in Scripture. But let me just give one very quickly. Right now in this room, there would be many in this room that we could say, Years ago, and some, it might not even be that many years ago. Let's just say in the past. In the past, would you have been in a place of worship on a Sunday morning? And some of you would probably smile and shake your head and say, Oh, no. If you'd have talked to me three years ago, if you'd have talked to me 35 years ago, if you'd have talked with me 60 years ago about if I would be in a house of worship, I would have laughed and said, absolutely not, because listen, that was not anywhere a part of my life. As a matter of fact, I'd have been doing a lot of other things on the weekend, things that I now no longer do. Why'd you stop doing them? Because as you started learning more about the Lord, you learned from His Word things that had to be cut out if you were going to abide on the vine. You also learned of things that needed to be brought in that just cleans us up if you abide on the vine. Isn't it wonderful that if we learn and live the Word of God, that is literally one of the ways that the Heavenly Father communicates to us let me help you clean up. If you and I are really living a life for the Lord, in essence, everything we do every day is because He's pruned us. He's taught us how to talk to people. He's taught us how not to respond to people. He's taught us what things to be involved in and what things not to be involved in. Isn't it beautiful? that He's also not through working on us. When you read the Scriptures this week, 
Are you reading them just because it's a daily grind and you've told yourself you have to do it? Are you reading the Scriptures this week to say, I want to grow. And I want to allow, through God's holy Word, I want to allow whatever pruning that God wants to do in my life, I want Him to teach it to me. I want Him to do it. Let's see another way that He prunes us. Look deeper in the same book. Hebrews, the 12th chapter and verse 11. Turn over the 12th chapter and verse 11. This is a, a very uh, beautiful passage in a way, but it sure doesn't feel beautiful when it's being lived out. Uh, as we go just a few verses into the 12th chapter, the topic begins to be very focused on correction and discipline and especially punishment. And so the Hebrew writer makes it very clear that earthly fathers that love their children, that when they do wrong, they punish them. And at that moment, the child doesn't appreciate it, but the father is doing it so that later on there will be benefit or fruit that comes out of it. And so let's just immediately jump down to verse 11. And this is how he explains it for us spiritually. This is God correcting us and, and punishing us. Uh, the Hebrews 12 and verse 11. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the what peaceable what fruit. It yields peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Are you willing to allow God to discipline you? I'm asking myself that too, because listen, that's not easy. Because it always hurts at the moment. And you know, a lot of time what we do when, when we feel pain, isn't it interesting that very quickly we begin to blame God and we begin to accuse God of not being good to us, not being faithful to us? God, where are you right now? And what if God, I don't think he's going to do this, what if he decided to, to, to break the silence of heaven and say, i tell you where I am, I'm punishing you right now and you're absolutely wrong and I hope you'll change. What would our response be then? Yes, sir. I, I get it. Okay, I want to learn from this pain. When you see somebody that has absolutely no pain in their life, they usually become spoiled brats. God promises His children that He will not allow us to become spoiled brats. Now, as He starts to punish us, we, we can choose to not accept the punishment. In the sense of staying close to God, you know, the, the, the branch on the vine, we can choose to say, I don't want anything to do with this. God, you're not, you're not going to have your will in my way. I don't like this. I don't like not getting things the way I want. I don't like me not being first. I don't like my fleshly nature not being the idol of my life. And we can choose to walk away from God. But what about if instead we say, Lord, I know sometime at the moment it hurts, but what I want to do, my intention is, I want to stay right there on the vine, the branch abiding in the vine, and whatever clipping away and whatever cleaning up you need to do, the pain is not going to drive me away. It's going to... Now, this is the word. See at the end of Hebrews 12, 11? The pain is going to train me to stay with you and be what you want me to be. When you look at the setting, do you have your Bible open there at Hebrews 12? Back up to verse 1 and 2. The verses we just read are not isolated away from verse 1 and 2. Remember Hebrews 11 is that great chapter of faith. 
But then we come to the 12th chapter. Look at verse 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us do what? Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So he says there's two things if we're going to run this race, which by the way, that's the next phrase. And let us run with endurance the race that's set in for, before us. Let us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So let's put that together, what we just read. We come out of the great chapter of faith, Hebrews 11th chapter, and he says, by the way, it's not just those people that's living a life of faith. He says, we're all called to live this life of faith. And are we willing to run that race? And he says, now, keep in mind, and they would have been very familiar with this, the, the Olympic-type games and the Isthmian games, they were well accustomed to individuals training and laying aside everything they had to lay aside in order to run and win a race. And so, just like today, we read this and we say, I understand athletics today here in America. I get this. They would have gotten it too. And so the teaching was real simple. You're going to run the race toward the Lord. If there is a weight, you're going to lay the weight down. If there's a sin that is stopping you from running, you're going to say, well, let me lay the sin down so I can run. When we read the passage we just read in the 12th chapter in verse 11 where he says, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That word trained in, in the Greek, you're probably going to be surprised, uh, some of you, at the, the, the two things that's a part of that word. One, you're not going to be surprised. One is exercise. When you go back to the Greek, that's one part of the word. You know what the next part of the word is? Don't be offended. I'm just giving you the Bible, okay? Next part of the word is naked. Some in that day and time actually trained naked. It was the idea we are going to lay down anything that would hinder us from running as fast as we can run. Now that's an extreme, but that's literally what that word means. You look it up in the lexicon, it's going to have exercise and it's going to have naked in it. What is the Hebrew writer trying to say here? The Hebrew writer begins verse 1 and 2 by saying, this is a race, and we're putting our eyes on the Lord, and we're going to lay down anything that's going to stop us from running for the Lord. And then for about seven or eight or nine, ten verses, what's the talk? The talk is God saying, I'll help you. Do you think you can live the Christian life on your own? Absolutely not. Well, what does that mean? When you say, I can't live the Christian life on my own, what does that mean? Here's what it means. You want to run that race? God says, I will help you learn what has to be cut away. If you'll let me discipline you without getting mad at me and leaving me, instead when I'm disciplining you, how about being an obedient child and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I love you and I respect you and I'm going to be trained. I'm going to be exercised to lay down whatever needs to be laid down in order to follow you. Again, we could give a million examples right now. I just want to make one up. Do you realize if God broke the silence of heaven right now and we said, God, give us an example of some of us here. How have we been disciplined lately? By the way, I'm making this up, so if this is close to home, I don't know this, okay? What if God said, well, right there, so-and-so. And you know, they've been pretty arrogant lately. And God says, you know how much I hate pride. Remember, he says, I'll cast down the pride field. 
And remember, he also says, if you humble yourself, I'll lift you up. He says, you know, they were coming up for a promotion at work, and they're the one, they should have gotten that promotion. But also knew this. Also knew in their pride state that if they got that, they were going to completely fall away from me. And so I decided to punish them. Now they went home real mad at the boss, and they said the boss was unfair, and the boss didn't let me get that promotion, and I was next in line. And they blamed the boss, and they blamed the company, and they blamed the culture of the work environment. God just smiles and says, it was me. I was just punishing them. And you know what? Now they're humble. And now they're faithful to me. And being faithful to God will trump a promotion any day of the week. Are we willing to say, God, whatever you need to do to correct me, I want you to get your shears out. And I want you to start lopping away. And I say that, and it gives me cold chills to say it. But I hope I mean it when I say it. And I hope you mean it. I hope that our devotion to stay connected to the vine so much. It says, Lord, if there's anything that's going to start disconnecting me from the vine of Jesus, if there's anything that's going to start disconnecting me, Lord, punish me. Get my attention. Don't let it happen, Lord. And I want to be humble enough to say, I love you, I trust you, and I'm going to serve you. There's one vine dresser. And He's willing to prune us if we're willing to stay connected to the vine. Come back tonight. We'll look at two more passages. And if time remains, we'll also look at what some of that fruit might be that the Scripture tells us. Not what people say. Now, people say a lot of things that's the fruit of, of, of serving God. But let's look and see what God says about it. So this morning, we're about to sing a song of encouragement. It's a time of invitation. And, and if, if you know that your life right now is disconnected from the vine, we simply want to encourage you to connect to the vine of Jesus Christ. He's our only hope. We are nothing without Him. That's what verse 5 says of what we just, just read there in, in John 15. And so if you're ready to be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins, we'd love to assist you with that. Maybe you've already become a Christian along the way. Things have separated you from the Lord, and you're ready to repent of that and confess it, and, and let's pray forgiveness. Maybe studying this this morning, it's just brought to your attention that, you know, I really don't know what the will of God is, but I'd love to sit down this week and I'd love to study about what the will of God is in my life. We do that every week with individuals, and we'd love to sit down and study with you just to see what God's will is. If we can help you in any way, come.